Go ahead, make a splash. Save over 30% on Bionic Roseland ankle booties. Today's showstopper at TSC. With a water-repellent suede upper, classic styling, and modern orthotics to keep your feet stylish, comfortable, and dry all day. Save $70 off the regular price and get the Bionic Roseland ankle booties for $149.99 today only. And get interest-free easy pay. Shop exciting offers every day at tsc.ca. Today's shopping choice. Ski socks. Dirty, smelly ski socks. Put an end to that with merino wool socks. Inflation. Another dirty word. Put an end to that with leftovers from last year. Leftover skis, snowboards, boots and ski wear. Even socks can be had at great prices. I'm Paul Zirk of The Destination in North Van, and I'm inviting you to get in early to save on everything for ski and snowboard this season. The Destination, Slope Outfitters, Vancouver's favorite custom boot fitters. Fiber-powered Ignite Internet is now here. At the Zimmermans in Moose Jaw, at the Patels in Red Deer, at the Browns Cabin in Fernie, where you can stream movies in the hot tub or the bathtub, any tub you want. It's in Balfe, Alberta, Happyland, Saskatchewan, Yubo, BC, and other cool places from Flin Flon to Medicine Hat. Our fastest fiber-powered internet has arrived. Ignite Internet from Rogers, together with Shaw. Hey, Sportsnet. Hey, Sportsnet. Hey, Sportsnet. The Blue Jays have something going on. Whether you're watching or listening, Sportsnet has the Blue Jays covered all season long. The swing and a miss. The balance in this lineup is remarkable. Hazel May, where can fans watch the game? Sportsnet, home of the Blue Jays. Holy smokes, did he hit that one. Want to listen to the game? They are firing all cylinders now. Listen live on Sportsnet 650. For everything Blue Jays, watch and listen live on Sportsnet. CISL Vancouver is Sportsnet 650, the official home of the Canucks. He scores! Short-handed goal for the Canucks. Vancouver draws first blood. Listen live on HD Radio, 96.9 FM, HD3. Julio, a rising rocket the opposite way. On a Tuesday. What an intro. Happy Tuesday, everybody. We are officially in welcome back to school mode. Eight o'clock is really when the Halford and Bruff show acknowledges that most people going to school Mm -hmm. are actually in the vehicle or getting close to being in the vehicle. Maybe their breakfast nook. Maybe they've got one of those shower radios. They can listen to us whilst bathing. But anyway, this is kind of when... We acknowledge that a lot of the, the regular listeners are tuned in and listen to the show. And I extend both uh, excitement and apologies that you got to go back to school. Not everyone looks forward to it, right? Teachers had a good summer off. Kids were... Name well, one parent that is not looking forward to their kids going back to school. Maybe maybe a teacher parent, one that has to go to <laughs> work to deal today. with them. Yeah. Do right? kids get more feral as the summer goes on? It depends on how much you let them play outside, especially in the dark. <laughs> 
Got a story to go along with <laughs> yeah. that? Or if you give them lots of lots of outside time at night, their, their eyes become yeah, wide, yeah. flying yeah. a kite at night. Yeah. <laughs> How many parents out there right now are just like, my kid needs structure? Oh, tons. right now. Because you're right you're, you're, Are your kids the Canucks? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Accountability, yeah. structure, yeah. better yeah. habits, yeah. less screen time. They the, were, the Canucks yeah. need less screen time. Okay, if the if the Canucks were going back, it's going to be like, you know what? Stay an extra hour. Don't just do the one hour, Canucks. Go for two or three today. Uh, okay, we got a lot to get into on the show, uh, including uh, talking to Ryan Divish from the Seattle Times. He's going to join us in just a second here to talk some Mariners. Uh, Halford and Bruff in the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer. Today, we are in hour three of the program. Hour three is brought to you by Campbell and Pound, real estate appraisers. Trust the expertise of Campbell and Pound. Visit them on the internet at campbell-pound.com today. We are coming to you live from the Kintec studio, Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at kintech.net. Uh, to the phone lines we go. He is the Seattle Mariners beat writer for the Seattle Times. Ryan Divish here on the Halford & Brush Show on Sportsnet 650. Morning, Ryan. How are you? I'm good. How are you guys? We're good. Thanks for taking the time to do this. We appreciate it. So um, I never thought that the Mariners were going to play like 700 plus baseball for the entire regular season. Little dips like this will happen from time to time, but it's coming at a time of the season where the standings are incredibly tight and everyone's doing watching on a game by game basis. Uh, Losers of four of their last six, including a pair in New York and Cincinnati most recently. What's gone on with the Mariners of late where they had this little bit of a wobble in terms of wins and losses? Uh, I think mostly it's their starting pitching, if you look at it. Um, you know, Brian Wu yesterday, he did go five innings, but he um, he struggled a little bit. He went five innings, but he, he struggled in the first few innings. He hit a couple guys, you know, walked a couple guys and just got himself in trouble. Uh, George Kirby only went three in New York. Luis Castillo, I think, went five, but wasn't really a very crisp five innings. I mean, that's how they got here. You know, the offense came to life, but all season long, their starting pitching has been really good. And their starters started to waver a little bit um, in this little stretch. Um, and and I think that's been the biggest key because, like, when, you know, when they're, when you're getting six innings usually or the quality start of six innings and three runs or fewer, I mean, it, it just makes everything easier for your offense, for your, your bullpen, and everything else, and that's what they've been doing a lot during the stretch. And they just haven't got it the last few, last few days. Did most people expect a little wobble like this? And I guess it's uh, it depends now how they're going to handle this, or whether they're going to let it linger, or they're going to get back to their winning ways. Well, yeah, I mean, people logically should expect it. People on my Twitter followers that they didn't expect it. They, you know, it's back to Lord of the Flies on Twitter all of a sudden because they lost four of six. Um, yeah, no, they had to. They went, like, I think, in one stretch, twenty-five and seven uh, at one point. You know, they were th- for a while there. They were like thirty-nine and fifteen or something since July first. Like that just doesn't happen. The weird part is they've done it twice. They did it last year. They did it again this year. You know, like they. They wait and they hit rock bottom in a season, and you're ready. You know, I'm writing the season obituary, and making plans for October, and then all of a sudden they just go on a heater um, and, and pull themselves back into the race. And so, yeah, I, I mean, like logically, you, you're just not going to play. You know, like you guys said, seven fifty or seven seventy baseball for the rest of the way. There was going to be, they were, were going to waver. You know, there was going to be starts where. 
you know, you're just not going to get a great starting pitching effort or you're going to get shut down by a better starting pitcher from the other team. And that's, you know, that's just baseball and that's the way it is. But you're right. I mean, like, as if Twitter can get crazier, it's just magnified this time of year because everybody's watching every game. And what's funny, too, is, like, because of the success and, you know, because of where they're at, you're getting a lot of fans that maybe haven't really bought in or maybe aren't really, you know, diehard baseball fans jump in. I, I equate them to the 12s from, you know, the football team, <laughs> where all of a sudden they jump in and they're all, you know, they're experts on baseball and, you know, they overreact a little bit more than maybe the traditional fan. But, yeah, that's, that's I think, the biggest thing is, like, the, the players knew it. Scott Service knew it. They knew it was going to happen. But even when you know it's going to happen, it's not enjoyable. I guess it's probably like a colonoscopy you have to get when you're, like, 50. You know you're going to have to get one, but it's never going to be enjoyable. Uh, it's hard not to look to the final 10 games of the regular season when the Mariners play three in Texas and then come home for their final seven, three against Houston and four against Texas again. That's going to determine who makes the wild card and maybe who doesn't unless they all make it and the Blue Jays miss. Um, what do the Mariners – What overall – how would you judge the Mariners' schedule to finish the season? Is it easy? Is it difficult? Somewhere in between. Uh, it's, it's about. It's probably a little trending towards difficult. Like the the Astros, I think, have the easiest out of the group. I, I'm supposed to be working on that story here in a little bit, but like the the Astros, I think, have the easiest. The last I checked, they have I think seven or eight games against the A's and Royals. Uh, coming up, so that's theirs is the easiest. But yeah, I mean those last ten games, plus you throw three in versus the Dodgers. Those are that's going to determine the Mariners' fate. I mean, I guess in a lot of ways, you know, at least having some control into what's going to happen by playing those ten games against um, teams you're directly competing with is important. I mean, like you know, the, it's going to be a crazy ten games. Um, you know, Houston has it pretty easy the blue jays they haven't theirs isn't terribly difficult it's not easy but they they played so poorly against teams in their division that you know whoever if they're playing an al east team then it's going to be difficult for them and then uh the rangers are kind of somewhere in the middle but yeah like you know no matter what happens here as long as they stay within a game or two you know one on either side of it then it's going to be crazy those last 10 games and honestly i mean that's what you want i i guess mm-hmm. you know like Sure, you'd love to be seven or eight games up and just kind of cruise in, but you know what? Play the last ten games. I mean, like those games, those last seven at Seattle. I mean, if it's where they're at now in the standings, they're playing those seven. I mean, they're going to probably be sellouts every game. You know, the Mariners and the Mariners like to make their money. They're going <laughs> to they're going to make some money in those last seven games, or but you know, throwing the Dodgers too. And those those are huge games. They've had crowds of 35,000 or more, I think, in the last eight. I mean, that's that's big money. Maybe they'll actually spend something on free agency in the offseason. <laughs> um, how how high will the regret level be if they, let's say hypothetically they miss, they, they falter down the stretch and they miss, how high will the disappointment level be? Because I think one thing about this particular team is that you've seen how good they can be, especially in the second half of the season. It might even lend itself to higher regret because this team does have such a high ceiling. Yeah, I mean, that's a, the thing is like everybody – 
you know, the goalposts get shifted. You, you, your goal level or your expectation level can shift throughout the season. Um, you know, this is a team that came in talking about winning the division. Then they, you know, they stunk for the first few months and everybody's mad because they didn't add enough players or they didn't do this, they didn't do that. Then all of a sudden they kind of played to the level you thought they could play and then exceeded it. And then all of a sudden you're thinking, okay, well, this is who they are too. When it's somewhere in between. But yeah, you're right. Like the, the disappointment level now, you, you get here, you've led the division now. Uh, you know, you've had a piece of the division lead for, I think, the last eight or nine days. Yeah, it's changed. You know, the expectations of the fan base have changed and your expectations as a team should change because you're there. You know, how do you finish? How do you do something like that? I mean, do I think it's a bit uh, serendipitous that they've gotten to this point? Yeah, I mean, like they played incredibly well and the Rangers have cratered. And so that's, you know, part of it. But, you know, how you get there or not, the perception of who you are has changed completely just because you're there. Uh, the M's are in action today in Cincinnati, second of a three-game set. Uh, Ryan, this was great. Thanks for doing it. Not a problem. Take it easy, guys. Yeah, you too. Thanks. That's uh, Ryan Divish from the Seattle Times, Mariners beat writer here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. So this is essentially how it's going to shake out. The Rays and the Orioles and the Twins are going to make the playoffs. That's pretty much certain. Okay. And then there's going to be three spots for with four teams basically in the hunt and that is toronto houston seattle and texas some will still say the boston red sox are still a factor and i suppose they're still technically alive like i'm at fan graphs now which four and a half back of the wild card yeah so fan graphs gives the red sox an eight percent chance of making the playoffs the blue jays are at around 60%, the Mariners are at 80%, the Rangers at 60%, and the Astros at 92%. And I think a lot of that is people are like, well, the Astros are a good team, right? Like Houston, Seattle, and Texas are all um, really close in the standings. Yep. But I think people, you know, the, I think the fan graphs gives the, the nod to like a team that you know is good. We know that Houston's good. Sure. They've right? got history on there. We're less certain about the likes of Toronto, Texas, and Seattle. Hopefully, Houston is the one that misses. I think that's what we all want. Yeah. Right? But the numbers aren't bearing that out. Yeah, I'd be okay with Texas missing as well. What do you have against the Texas Rangers? Oh, well, the whole Batista bat flip, Odor punching. Oh, you're still living in the past, yeah, right? Bit of a rivalry there. I wouldn't I wouldn't hate to see Texas miss. That's what I'm saying. How, but, how, but you would be way more excited, let's admit it, if you Well, misses, that's right? a better team, I think, overall that would be missing. Yeah. I think um, the Jays would be better. How, where are you on all these unexpected contributions from the Buffalo crew and the, the Jays are all banged up? All these guys are out with injuries and they're still managed to scratch and claw some victories and, because and beat Oakland. Yeah, that's the thing. Like they went in <laughs> to this stretch where I think we said they need to go like eight and one over nine. That's where I kind of had yeah. it. Like, and that's a, a tall ask, right? Uh, and when they started going down with injuries, I'm like, uh oh. That's not good because they kind of needed everything to go perfect. Yeah. Right. Well, it was the one thing they were doing they... well all year was they were staying healthy. Right. And that that's was, out that was a big part of it. Yeah. And now it's like Chapman's out, Bo's out, Brandon Belt. Who's yeah. Because you out. can look at it in a few different ways. Like, have they looked really good in the last little while or not the at last all. few games? Not at all. They've been, but they the got best wins. Team in runners in scoring position. But, yeah. they, but they got wins, right? Yeah. Like scratching and clawing and getting unexpected contributions and winning is the key part of it. 
it can just build that sense like, well, maybe we don't necessarily deserve it, but that's baseball. We're now getting the breaks. Nothing's are happening for us that weren't mm. happening earlier in the year. And also, like, you're, we're doing this with without some really key guys. Yeah, and when it coincides with, and here's the key, crappy opponents, it makes it like, oh, you know, things are finally starting to break our way. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, we're getting, I mean, that game against Oakland yesterday, I, I didn't play well. They had a big 10th inning and then almost blew it, yeah. right? And yep, it was too. like, it wasn't great. But they I got just, out of there with a win. You're happy to see contributions from players that are coming up. And these players have all been having great seasons in the minors. But I just don't know what, like, there's been a lot of talk about the hitting coach and their and their strategy. What does it say that the best hitters that are coming up are the ones that didn't spend any time with the hitting coaches on the professional MLB team, but rather the guys from AAA coming yeah. up and being the spark plug? It, it's good because you want to see them. You want to see them win. But it's bad because the, the guys that are on the team full-time need to step up. And how they, how familiar were you with these guys like Schneider and Horowitz? They were organizational flat. guys. They, they weren't like highly touted. No, prospects. like Schneider especially was a late-round selection. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like going into this season, if you mentioned Davis Schneider to even the nerdiest of you know people that knew the Blue Jays system, they'd be like, yeah, you know, could be a backup infielder, you know. <laughs> right. And then he turns into this, right? So it's... It's good to see, but again... Hopefully it's not just a blip for him. Hopefully he's found something in his game, yeah. but you never know uh, with prospects. Let's go into the Dunbar Lumber text line, print out some what we learn submissions. Uh, this one's from Basketball Phil, what we learned. I like FIBA Dylan Brooks. What a clutch performance. Not going to lie, I didn't see that coming from him. He has shut uh, shut up some of his critics, myself included. Yeah. yeah, it's a great redemption tour for Dylan Brooks, who did not look good in the NBA postseason for numerous reasons. In fact, like there would be people that would go so far as to say he humiliated himself. Like and, look, like he, and he he admitted it. It was like it was a tough go. He bit off more than he can chew. Yeah. It happens. I mean we all kind of killed him at the time because well we followed by the LeBron killing yeah. him. But he took a shot at one of the top five players in the history of basketball. Like it didn't he wasn't aiming at like the middle. Like he was going after the king, quite literally. The Calling king. him old, too yeah, old. Yeah, and he's yeah, he can't drop forty on me. And then he didn't drop forty. He did a twenty twenty. Yeah, which was pretty good. For, <laughs> so uh, the really interesting thing is how he's been able to figure out the international game in a short period of time. Because we talked about it with Alvin Williams. Everyone said going into this tournament, like Canada's going to have an advantage guarding on the perimeter because they got Dylan Brooks and Lou Dort who are. They're scrappy. They got that dog in them on the on the perimeter. But it was a really interesting anecdote from Alvin Williams, who download our one of the podcasts. It's a good interview. And he said he figured out that when you're defending on the ball, the refs are really tight with the whistles and the foul calls. Yeah. But when they're away from the ball, they're kind of not paying attention to it. So you can do all the <laughs> greasy, like, clutching and grabbing. And, they got tunnel vision on the ball. And Dylan's like, I, I noticed this thing. I'm going to take advantage of this. And that's where his defense has kind of really yeah. gone to another level. The refs are like Horvat on the PK. He just, sees the puck, not everything else, though. I'm just focused on one thing. I can't be focused. How about on that, that cheap shot on Horvat? Out of nowhere, what we learned, unsigned, the Canucks add four players every offseason and say they think they can make the playoffs. Then they fall asleep in the first part of the season and come alive when it's too late. Yes, that is a good summing up of the Vancouver Canucks. Although I don't know if the moves in previous seasons have been as well received as they have been heading into this one. Uh, just a reminder that Canucks training camp starts 
Thursday, September 21st, and this year training camp is in Victoria. So the Canucks talk is definitely going to be ramping up. But for now, more college football, what we learned. Josh in his video van, what we learned. I learned that the first week of college football was very entertaining with Duke upsetting Clemson, FSU, Florida State, beating LSU, and then Colorado beating TCU in a barn burner of a game. Yeah, Yeah, there were some very uh, entertaining games. There were also a lot of blowouts, as there usually is in the first week of college football. Um, Here's another one from Dan on FIBA and the World Cup of Basketball from Indonesia. Right here on Sportsnet. Hashtag WWL, what we learned. I like the FIBA TV coverage. It's nice to hear the referees during replays and talking to the coaches. It's also cool to hear what the coaches are saying at every time out. So one, I hope people are watching this. I know it's at really difficult times on the West Coast, like 6.30 to wake up for a basketball game. I I know our listeners. I know a lot of them aren't going to do it, and that's fine. But if you do... Check it out. The broadcast is really interesting. I don't know if this is just a FIBA thing. I don't know if we'll see this at the Olympics. But in the waning moments of the Canada-Spain game, when Canada finally got the lead late in the fourth quarter and there was a big possession, the camera is right in the huddle, and it's got... Uh, the mics pick up everything that the coach is saying about what the defensive plan is to guard the next Spanish inbound. To the point where I was like, I hope nobody from Spain has access to this feed and is using this <laughs> in real time. Here's yeah. what the Canadians are going to do. Because it was very detailed. Yeah. Right. And so they came out of the timeout and Alvin picked up on what they were doing. He kind of got through the coach speak and he's like, they're going to switch on everything. There's not going to be any man. Anytime the ball or there's a pick, they're going to switch defenders on right. other guys. Yeah. And then Powell was late on his switch, and they hit a three. Mm-hmm. So you got to see what they wanted oh, to do. Oh, that's kind of cool. They failed to do it, and then Spain, yeah, so it was a really cool thing. Uh, I would love to know. I lo- I lo- when I played basketball, I loved a good switch, because that means you don't have to run. Well, you're tall. So yeah. on a switch, you have the advantage of being long. Yeah, 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 So you don't necessarily need to hustle over there. You can just stretch and reach if they're going to shoot. Yeah, I'll just switch. be like, I'm going to stay in this general vicinity. Yeah, I'm, I'm a general space kind of guarder. <laughs> That's what I do. Uh, Taj, the blueberry guy, texts in. What we learned, the BC Lions had me invested in the Bombers-Riders game. First time in years I watched a CFL game that wasn't the Lions. That was the craziest OT I've seen in years. Well done, CFL. Uh, Joe Bob with a related what we learned. After the headbutt on Zach Kolaros on Sunday, it's clear the CFL needs to be better protecting its quarterbacks. Hey, yeah. So Calaros came out and you're like, someone asked him, he's like, do you think there'll be any discipline? And he's like, you familiar with this league? <laughs> <laughs> well, Pete Robertson, which doesn't really sound like a football player. Pete, oh, there's Pete Robertson. Yeah. Saskatchewan uh, defensive like end. Owns a hardware store. Yeah. Um, good old Pete Robertson. <laughs> got a one-game suspension. Yeah. Uh, so that actually hurts the riders Heading back to Winnipeg for the Banjo Bowl. I fully expect Winnipeg to take care of business against the Rough Riders next weekend. Uh, so that means that the Lions are going to have to keep pace if they want that October 6th game at PC Plus. I'm really talking up this October. I realize it's a month away. I yeah, just, jeez. No, I just that want. Loves that game. I just want that game. Like, I'm, you got to, you got to. You got to pump everyone up. You got to give them plenty of lead time to look ahead to this game and let's get a big crowd to BC Place for a big regular season game with hopefully first place in the division on the line. See in the Mish. 
and then he confirms that the mish is mission. I does anyone else do that? Yeah, gotcha. Uh, hashtag WWO. What we learned: seeing the mish is getting back into the school routine this morning with the kiddos. And my ten-year-old asks if I'm putting on the Andy show <laughs> with the cranky guy. New show name. New show name. The, the Andy, Andy show. show. I was worried about this when your star would eclipse ours. Yeah. We're going to have to bury you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm it's sorry. It's going to be pretty rough over the next little bit. Which one of you is the cranky guy? Oh, I mean, yeah, I, 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 mean I have a pretty good idea, but it's got to be me. Yeah. <laughs> was there any question? Yeah. Uh, but between um, the cranky guy and the clueless guy. <laughs> so this and this seeing the Mish's kid isn't the first one to think that this is the Andy show because... Um, Yours. Yeah, yeah, they love Andy. Yeah, they think Andy is like a celebrity. Yeah, yeah. I also think they thought you were an actual dog at one point, but yeah. regardless. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They seemed disappointed um, when they met me. Oh, he's human. They were, actually. They were yeah. like, yeah. oh, thought it'd be funnier. That's it? <laughs> <laughs> David Foster. Yes, David Foster, the music producer, is coming up next on the Halford. I never thought I'd say that. We're going to interview David Foster next, the Halford and Bruff Show, Sportsnet 650. The People's Show, where you're part of the show. Download the podcast and stay up to date on Vancouver sports all summer long. Eight thirty-one on a Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet six fifty. Halford and Bruff in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are in hour three of the program. David Foster is going to join us in just a moment here. Hour three is brought to you by Campbell and Pound Real Estate Appraisers. Trust the expertise of Campbell and Pound. Visit them on the internet at campbell-pound.com today. Our next guest has won 16 Grammys. He is in the Canadian Music Hall of Fame, the Songwriters Hall of Fame. He has a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. His foundation is the charity of choice for the upcoming Laver Cup, which is going to be held at Rogers Arena in a couple weeks' time. Joining us now, very excited to have him on the program, David Foster here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Good morning, David. How are you? Good morning, guys. I'm good. Really good. Uh, it's great to have you on the show. We're very excited about this. We have a lot of questions we want to ask you, but we should, given that this is a sports talk radio show and a sports station. Start with the sports part. Do the obligatory yeah. sports okay. thing to begin with. So <laughs> the connection between David Foster and tennis, I did not realize that there are multiple connections. Can you let our listeners know how big a tennis fan you are and how your foundation became involved with the Labor Cup? Well, sure. I, I thought actually we were going to talk about my hockey career which was cut short. You know, I played 11 years with the Canucks, mm-hmm. uh, two years with St. Louis, and uh, no, that's not true. I remember the trade to St. Louis. Very controversial. <laughs> we were saving that for the back end of the interview, but what the hell? Let's go for Sorry. it. Sorry. <laughs> no, I was just mentioning because my, my sister Ruth called me. She said, I hear you're going to be on the radio. She loves the Canucks. Like, she's crazy for them. She said, you better talk about my Canucks. So I love the Canucks, too. Anyway, we'll move on from that. But, uh, yeah, my tennis career is uh, – uh, you know, I love to play tennis. And my son-in-law is a incredible tennis player named Tommy Haas, who's a former uh, number two in the world. Uh, and uh, he introduced me to, to Roger Federer. And, uh, and, and I just followed tennis. Every, you know, he started playing in the year 2000. So I started following uh, the circuit and just had loved it. I'm sure you hit with Tommy Haas once in a while. What, what was that like to just see how good these guys are and how hard they can hit the ball? You know, it's phenomenal. And guys like Roger and Tommy, who are Roger and Tommy happen to be good friends, uh, 
they they'll when they play socially, at least my experience has been they'll play just enough to make you feel like you can play. And, and and you think, wow, I actually got a point, but you actually didn't get a point. They just make you think you got a point, right? Um, let's talk about the the, the similarities between uh, great musicians and great athletes. Where do you think it starts? I think it's the same process. You know, I mean, I, I, I you've done enough interviews. You know that you you probably talked to every meaningful athlete in the world. You guys. Um, you know, it starts with that just burning, burning desire. Like, there's just nothing going to stop you. I guess the epitome would be, we talk about our friend uh, Wayne, who's been a lifelong friend of mine, Wayne Gretzky. And, you know, at four, he made his grandmother, you know, put up the goalpost so he could shoot in the living room and made his dad freeze the backyard and, and, and just couldn't get enough and had to be dragged in every night. And I was kind of the same way with music. Um, you know, it just became, it just became such a passion. And, and and it wasn't work. And you never know where it's going to take you. I certainly didn't imagine that I'd end up, you know, touring the world and, and be in Hollywood and blah, 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 all that stuff. But you just do it because you love it. And then the, the, the bonus is when you get to have a career filled with, with um, you know, success. Did your parents ever have to push you? Um, I, I wasn't crazy about taking classical piano lessons. So yeah, they would they would push me for that, but they, in general, didn't have to push me. By the time I was twelve, I was in a band and I was making money and doing weddings and you know sort of hustling and and uh, yeah, no, they never really pushed me. My father was musical. Uh, my mother was not. I never heard ever my mother even whistle in the house or let alone sing. But um, she knew that you know I had something, and uh, thank God they they backed it. You know. Did you ever like? Where did you get it from? Where I I always love talking to people that have these tremendous talents and they show through at such an early age. And you know, there's there's all sorts of studies on like what is it? Is it practice? Is it ten thousand hours of practice? Is it is it is it God given? Like, what was it like for you? Do you even remember the first time you you know walked up to a piano and like did did it just make sense to you? It just made sense here, and that's a great way of putting it. But also, as I said, my father was an amateur musician, and he was good. And he patiently would teach me songs at the piano when I was six and seven and eight. And then I had a great uh, band teacher, and I can't stress, I guess this would be the equivalent in sports of a great athletic teacher who would just take an interest in you. And our band teacher, his name was uh, Bob Bergeson, took an interest in me, saw that I had something, and allowed me to... to um, change instruments every three months in the whole in the course of like five years of school hmm. and so i i learned to play every instrument not well but i learned to play them as good as anybody else and so i had a by the time i left school which was sadly in the 11th grade um, i had a working knowledge of, of every instrument thanks to him uh, on the subject of natural talent and a gift for music I, this might be a big uh, question but who uh, of the artists that you work with had the most natural talent i guess the god-given talent that jason was talking about well gosh i i've saw it in so many i mean the the, the i guess the well i mean i'm thinking about celine celine had this natural ability from such a young age um your very own our very own michael buble right there in vancouver mm -hmm. um the guy just came out swinging i mean he just just had that swing now he he credits his grandfather for teaching him about music. He, he said that his grandfather had this trick where he would 
say, son, I'm not going to be around. Um, Sunshine, I'm not going to be around that long. So if you just learn this song for me this week. And of course, he lived to be 90 years old. So (laughs) Michael got this whole catalog of music from trying to please his grandfather. Uh, And then Whitney, who didn't seem to be trained at all, Whitney Houston, she would just step up. She would come into the studio, rip her jacket off, step up to the mic, and like a laser beam, just go, like like a racehorse. It was amazing. Is there a difference between being a great musician and being a great performer? Well, for sure there is. And just as a, as a testament to that, in my own little story, um, I was in Ronnie Hawkins' band uh, with B.J. Cook, and, and um, I got fired because he said, you're like a damn cadaver up there on stage. You don't move. You don't, you don't do anything. You're out of my band. Leave. And 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 that was a good lesson for me that, that hey, you know, I'm a great player, but Ronnie Hawkins knew the difference. He, he said, I don't care how good you play. If you can't look like you're having fun, um, then you're out of my band. So I think I acquired uh, a knack for being a performer. Actually, again, through sports, mm-hmm. I became good friends with, uh, with Andre Agassi. And uh, Andre used to have these fundraisers every year in Vegas back maybe 25 years ago. And um, and he allowed me to be the host every year. And we had every act on, like, I mean, I, gosh, Santana and, and Barbara Streisand and, and, and everything in between. And I got to host every year. And I sort of honed my skills as a quote-unquote performer. And, you know, I don't sing, so now I have to perform in order to... true or not but i just i kind of feel like in some ways the performance angle doesn't get as much respect as the musical angle but you know i spent a lot of my times on youtube looking back on old concerts like freddie mercury at wembley Mm. is a spectacle it's a performance did he have a great voice yeah was he a great was, was he a great musician of course but there was something that brought him like there's not many people out there that can command a performance in front of a hundred thousand people. Who was the best at it that you saw? You're right. And it's the difference between command and demand. Some people try to demand an audience participation and others just command it. You know, there's certain people and, and you know, this in, in, in your guys work, there's certain people that just walk in the room and they suck all the air out of the room. Yeah. You just don't know why. And they, if you're going to a party and you know that, uh, you know, Roger Federer is going to be there, you can tell with, that he's in the room even if you don't see him. Mm-hmm. And conversely, you can tell when he's left the party even though you don't see him leave. And that's that real, real star power. And, yeah, Freddie was a great singer. and he, I, I wouldn't say he was a great musician. I mean, not on turn, not not like a classical musician. Right, right. But he, he was a really good musician, but he was an incredible delivery delivery he had an incredible delivery system and that's what i think that's why kids i think bought into all the classical parts of his music because he had such a great delivery system we're speaking to david foster here on the halford and brush on sportsnet 650 yes that david foster yes on sportsnet <laughs> yes, 650 believe it or not yeah. on our uh, show um, you know it's funny when we do the sports music crossover and try and do the shoehorning in the comparisons one of them that i always found interesting was uh how you measure success in music because in sports it's pretty simple right it's you win you lose you make a lot of money doing it or you don't make a lot of money doing it do you equate success in music with making hits and making money 
Well, yeah, but let me ask you guys a question. Like, sure. you say it's easy to, to equate in sports, but how does, like, how do you tell with, like, let's take our Canucks. How do you tell, like, who's, who's the, you know, it's a team effort. So is somebody monitoring every skate, every, you know, are they keeping track of everything that everybody does out there? And that's how they figure out whether a guy's worth his salary or not. I, I, I'm asking because I don't know. They try. <laughs> people absolutely yeah. try. Yeah, there's lots of people that are trying to quantify it down to what player gives you what production for what dollar. But that's one of the great debates that we have in sports all the time is that there's a certain numerical value that can put on everything. And then there's the great intangible that you can't, right? It's right. that sometimes a team just clicks for no particular reason. Or conversely, a team that you think is going to be great falls short. Nobody has an answer or, or, why. Or a guy will take less money to be on this certain team because he wants to be part of that team. And to go to another team, it would take more money because he doesn't really want to be part of that team. Right. So they, I know that they, obviously they do count the on-ice, off-ice time, which I guess is more important than people would give a credit for. Mm-hmm. Like, are you on the ice when the goal, goal is scored? That counts, right? Well, sort of. Yeah, it, it does. Let, less so than, than maybe it used to be. But it really comes down to a negotiation based on what other guys around the league have done with similar numbers or similar uh, subjective um, points to it. it. It comes down to a negotiation, essentially. Right. But you would agree that, as in music, charisma plays a part in sports. Totally. Yeah, for sure, because a lot of the times a certain guy, if he has charisma, will have more value to the team from an economic perspective. Yep. If there's someone who's got a lot and, of charisma. And as a leader. That, and, as a leader. That, and he's a leader. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's a big and, one. Yeah. And that's a, actually a big conversation with the Canucks right now. We don't really know who their leader is. Well, you know, there's me. There's you, yeah. <laughs> well, ever since you got traded to St. Louis, the team has been in a tailspin, you know. Um, so, But to answer your question, I did equate – my success a lot with hits, uh, Grammys, and 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 then money, but it it does run deeper than that. And, and now in my older age and, and supposed wisdom, I know that I can't let you know Grammys define me or hits define me. And you know when you're younger, you like God, I gotta have another hit. I gotta have another hit. I gotta have another hit. And it's just it's just not that way anymore. And I don't like to rest on my laurels. I'm still working. Mm-hmm. Um, you know your life shifts. You don't. You know, I don't write top 40 hits anymore, but I try to still be, um, you know, successful. And in, in, right now I'm writing a Broadway musical, which is uh, going to Chicago, opening in Chicago on November 30th. And, you know, that's another layer of hopefully success, um, but certainly different than, than getting a Grammy or writing a hit record. David, let me ask you a question that we've discussed a few times. It's one of my favorite questions to ask Um, when it comes to music. And we have this conversation with sports all the time. Is ego a good thing or a bad thing? Um, Well, you know, I don't know. I I need to look up the difference between ego and narcissist. Well, yeah, they can be related. (laughs) Yeah. And narcissism is a bad thing. Unless Unless you're just so good and you're so incredible that you can pull it off and everybody will hate you, but they still have to have you because you're that good. Right. Even though Ronnie Hawkins didn't have me. Um, <laughs> but um, of course, I mean, I know I'm good. I mean, you can't have the level of success that I've had and not be good. Mm-hmm. But, um, and, and, and when I tour Asia, which is frequently, um, and it's a whole different game over there. I play, I can play for, well, we just got back and, you know, I did like two nights in Jakarta in Indonesia, 8,000 people a night. And 
because they love songwriters and they love the people behind the scenes. So if I wanted to be a real egomaniac, I'd just move to Southeast Asia. <laughs> but I, I like living in North America. So I think, yeah, you have to have your ego in check. But, you know, think about this. Think about somebody like Roger Federer. Like every single moment of every single day since he turned pro 25 years ago, somebody's pulling on his shirt. Every moment. Mm-hmm. That's, that's got to wear you down. I mean, I, I don't have that in my life. I don't have somebody pulling at me every second like some of the people that you've interviewed and most of the people that I work with, Madonna mm-hmm. and Whitney and, and, and even Michael Bublé, who's a huge star. We love him. They're pulling on you 24-7. It's got to wear you down. I wonder sometimes how much resentment builds to the fans in either sports or music, right? Like the fans are the reason why you are rich, but you can also be like, God, they're annoying. <laughs> That's probably an age-old dilemma. And, and um, but I think most sensible artists, again, like Michael, I'm talking about Michael Bublé a lot, first because he's amazing, second because I love him, and third because he's from Vancouver. Huge Canucks um, fan. He, yeah, oh, huge. And not a bad hockey player he was back in the day. You know, um, yeah, he, he's got it in check. You know, he, he, it's tiring sometimes. I mean, even in my own little world of non superstar, but when I toured, like you get to the dressing room and you're, um, oh, you got to meet and greet tonight. How many, oh, it's 80 people. Mm-hmm. And so you got to, you know, take the picture and smile and like, oh, and sign these a uh, hundred posters, will you? Because they're, <laughs> you know, that's for our don't our special donors at the art center. And, right. you know, and it's, um, but I mean, good Lord. I mean, we have a great life, a great life, and we should never, ever, you know, you know, look down on it. And you must have been able to have some such great conversations with some of the best musicians of our times. I mean, the parties that you've been to, the people that you've talked to. I, I actually, you know, I was watching a, a video of you on YouTube uh, yesterday and you were saying like one of your great strengths and one of the things that you always tell young musicians is you better get good at networking because if you don't, you're not going to make it. Yeah. And I, I'm wondering if it's the same in sports, but it's the hundred percent when I, when I teach it or give a class at UCLA or one of the universities or anywhere, just for some hungry songwriters, young songwriters. I ask them to, you know, what's the one word that defines how you're going to have success? And they, you know, they're all eager. They put up their hand. They go like, um, uh, dedication, uh, commitment. Uh, you know, they come up with all these adjectives. I said, no, the number one thing is networking. Like, right, I say, right here in this room, how many bass players are there? And you get three hands. How many singers are there? Six hands. Mm-hmm. How many people are engineers and have a little uh, studio at their, at their house? Four people. And I said, right in here, in this room of 400 people, there's hit records. Why don't you guys talk to each other? Yeah. Like, just talk to each other. You're in the same class, for God's sakes. It's funny. My my one piece of advice, for what it's worth, I don't have the success. But mm. I like when, when kids come out of university or something, they're always like, oh, I want to get the perfect job. They may not say that, but they often act like that. They're like, oh, I don't really want this job. And my advice is always just like, take a job. Get out there, get started, because you're not going to do anything sitting at home, being on social media, you know, not talking to people. Just take a job and you don't know where it goes from them, but you better get started at some point. No, you're absolutely right. Why wouldn't you take a job sweeping the floor at the studio where you guys work right now? Why wouldn't you do that for for $5 an hour, whatever? Why wouldn't you? Because one day 
Michael, you, that's Michael on the line, right? This is Jason, but yeah, Michael's here oh, as J- well. Yeah. yeah. Oh, one day, I'm Jason's going to like drink too much and not show up. Yeah. And they're going to look over at you and they're going to go, hey, have you ever been on the radio before? Well, get up there because we've got dead air if you don't do something. Yeah. And, and that's going to be, you know, a, a break. And also, this place is a mess. Someone come in and sweep this place up. This is a disaster in here. It's, yeah, it's, it's a career opportunity Watch and a cleaning you. opportunity, which is great. So. You're going to get 100 requests now, hopefully. Um, that would be good. But but we're both on the same page. I mean, we, we both agree. Yeah. Um, the problem in music, I mean, like, I, I love watching the TV shows, American Idol and The Voice and America's Got Talent, you know, et cetera. And they're, they're great fun, but they're, they're entertainment shows. The reason why they haven't made any stars in a long, long time is because these kids come from the bedroom to the stage. Hmm. So, like, just like you say, they're on social media, they're making music in their bedroom, and then they get, you know, and they sing well, and they get accepted on the show, and then they want it to all unfold. They haven't done the hard work of playing in clubs and getting beer thrown on them, getting booed and playing to three people, <laughs> getting fired from Ronnie Hawkins' band, and touring in an old shit bus. Oh, you can't say that, sorry. That's fine. You Crappy can say um, touring in, in a bus. I mean, actually, I was the bus driver for Ronnie Hawkins, so at least he got that out of me. Oh, um, <laughs> but am I am I right about that? And the same would be with sports. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Mike and I did shows like ten to ten to midnight on a Sunday, which is you know not prime time in the world of yeah. radio. But we just did it, and uh, we're still pretty bad. we're still bad at this. But uh, you know, at least we have <laughs> at least we get to talk with David Foster, and I'd like to thank you. Well, I uh, think you're really good. Uh, even though you just looked me up yesterday because you didn't even know who I was, but that's I, okay. Are, are you kidding me? Uh, uh, <laughs> here we go. Well, now we get oh, we, we, we get three oh, minutes of Jason man. reciting your reciting your entire catalog. 1988 Winter Olympics. That's when 12 year old Jason first got introduced uh, to David Foster, and uh, and your lo- producer Andy, his parents played on that record in the orchestra. They were in the Vancouver Symphony, that's which is yeah. a nice little touch. Yeah, no. Yeah. A- Andy, was is that because Calgary has no music? Is that why they had to they had to, they had to call Vancouver and they're like, oh, hey, it's Alberta. We don't have an orchestra here. Wait, what about the Calgary Flames, man? My dear friend Jim Trelevin, his son is the general manager, right? No longer. He's the he's the oh, GM. No he's, he's the, the GM Toronto of now. Toronto now. Yeah, so he's got even oh, more pressure on him fun. now. I See, you know a lot of people. You can when you can say my dear friend Wayne, and my dear friend Jim, <laughs> and, uh, you know. Anyway, so I've networking, been around, networking. Been a long time. Hey, by the way, just a little aside. Speaking of how things, you know, we talk about, you know, doing the hard jobs. When I was doing the '88 Winter Olympics, which is coming up on 40 years ago, right? 36 mm-hmm. years ago. Um, the line producer for that night, the, the broadcast, the opening ceremonies where I was going to play the song. The line producer, I couldn't, like, the guy was so good. He was like, can I get you some coffee? Can I drive over here? And can you do this? And and, and he was really just a working kid, almost a kid. It was Bob Iger. What? (laughs) Really? That is incredible. I I don't know what his position was, but it wasn't that high up. And he was so dedicated to the details. To me, who was just a nothing, a Canadian guy writing a song, mm-hmm. uh, and you can all, I, th- I thought, wow, that guy is amazing. That guy's going to be the CEO of Disney twice. <laughs> twice. <laughs> twice. Twice. Well, there's the message yeah. right there. Take a job, kids. Take a job. Okay. Yeah, you're D- absolutely right. David, we're up against it for time. Uh, this has been awesome. Thank you very much for joining us. Enjoy the Labor Cup in a couple weeks' time. Yeah, the Labor Cup, if it's open to people, you guys should come because it's going to be a lot of fun for tennis. I don't know how the ticket situation is, but come on down and, and have some, some great fun with the Roger Federer, 
Uh, Jason and Michael, thanks, guys. Thank you. David Foster, everybody, uh, on the Hufford and Brough Show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, Andy, how you feeling over there, bud? I cracked. I was losing him. He was like, my good friend Wayne... You know, Gretzky, maybe you've heard of him. I don't know if you've... Who? Oh, Wayne Gretzky! Oh, oh, right, that guy. You may know him as Wayne Gretzky. Wayne Primo? <laughs> he's, had a, he's had a pretty cool life so yeah. far. Incredible. I'm, I'm uh, All right. pretty so, jealous. So A-Dog <laughs> just told us that we have no guest book for tomorrow. Do we need any now? We'll just replay this we'll interview replay four times. replay the David Foster interview. Uh, so A-Dog's going to get working. Uh, we got to get napping. Have fun at school, kids. <laughs> Hope you have strict teachers. Signing off for now, I have been Mike Alford. He has been Jason Bruff. He's been A-Dog, and he's been Laddie. This has been the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.